A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 175 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast legend, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman. And with me, like the desire to keep tinkering with a good thing, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. As opposed to that angry desire to keep tinkling on a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is that's pretty apt. <laughs> Who was it? Was it R. Kelly? Is that where the joke comes in? Oh, smelling like R. Kelly cheats. Oh. Oh. And we're off to a great start already. Yeah, that's been like a, a norm of late. Really rough beginnings. Uh, maybe it's because we're waking up so early in the morning. You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I went out last night. I was up really late. Went out, did a little date night with my wife, and we were down at Walmart. And I was like looking around everywhere for a freaking blu-ray copy of the original trilogy uh riley and me we were doing uh, these commentaries for the star wars report for our patreon and all this and i had to watch it with the dvd and everybody's watching blu-ray i'm like mm, where are we at i'm like yeah, in the say, chat. Where we gonna, at? that's gonna mean that at times you are you are out of sync with oh, everybody else at least big a little bit. time so yeah I, i'm i'm desperately trying to catch up in the chat the uh, you know the Blu-ray version is is definitely got more scenes that threw me off. Uh, so I'm looking, you know, and all I can find is the prequel trilogy on Blu-ray. I couldn't find the original trilogy anywhere. And my wife's like, "Well, I'll get it for you for Father's Day." And I'm on the fence. I'm like, "Do I want to get the prequel trilogy now and and wait, even though we're going to be doing more original trilogy, you know, commentaries first? So yeah, it it, it sucked. I was like, "Really, Walmart? Not one other copy? Come on, you bastards!" Like. Yeah, it, it was the the biggest epiphany though. Like, I need to get myself the Blu-ray. I've heard you talk about it time and again about the sound quality and all that kind of stuff. And but no, Amy had pointed out too that the, that there were times where you could see flaws in the armor and stuff like that because of the, the picture quality and stuff like that. And I remember you talk about the sound quality, and I'm just like, man, I am missing out. I need to get myself some Blu-rays. Ugh, it's time. Yeah, it's one of those things where uh, you never know what you missed. Until you realize it's off the freaking shelves. Um, I was fortunate, I guess, that one when, when the complete Saga Blu-ray set came out, I was in a position to go ahead and pick it up, despite the fact that it was fairly pricey at the time. It's actually still pretty pricey. Uh, I can still find that one on the shelves at some places around here, like at Books A Million of all places. They've got the complete Saga set, but it's still about 90 bucks at this point. Um, for me... It was when I was starting to do all the collecting of the uh, home video stuff. One of the hardest and most expensive things to find was the original trilogy DVD box set from 2008, where they basically took the releases from 2006, the ones with the uh, the supposedly unaltered copies of the films as bonus discs, 
put them in little slim cases, and then put them all into a box set, which they hadn't done back in 06. And I mean, it's basically a re-release of stuff that was already out there. So for a lot of people, it was redundant. They didn't buy it, which means that then whenever they left the market, because, of course, Lucas wanted to tinker with it again, and 2011 became his definitive, I always planned it this way edition. All of a sudden, those became very hard to find, and... You know, that's usually the case to a degree, but it was even more so in that case because with so many people not picking it up in the first place, there weren't nearly as many on the secondary market of places like eBay. So, I mean, one of those sets is still going to run you probably a hundred, hundred plus just wow. to basically get a set of something that you may already have from a couple years before with the only real difference being this one happens to be in a box. Fun. Yeah, on the plus side, that collection is pretty much complete uh, just over the span of the last couple of years so it is it's an interesting thing and there is a reason of course folks why we are talking about this uh we're going to hit a little bit about the recent hd digital releases but uh mark what's the general gist of what we're talking about this time around at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we explore the process of change that our beloved saga has gone through over the years. From theatrical release to Laserdisc, VHS, DVD to Blu-ray and beyond. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure Beyond the Films. That's right, this is the long-awaited, long-talked-about episode where we're going to delve kind of into some of the content that folks can get with my From the Star Wars Home Video Library video series. If you want more depth, more detail, check that out. That's over at YouTube. It's youtube.com slash user slash chronoradio, C-H-R-O-N-O, like chronology, radio, all as one word. Absolutely, that is the place to go. I mean, you've been working on this, what, almost nine months now? Actually, the series has been going since, I guess, near the end of 2013, but it's been extremely, extremely sporadic. It's basically been sort of a, let's see what I've got in my collection, and if I get to a point where there's something I want to talk about that needs to be talked about before something else, and I don't have it yet, it just kind of stalls out. But I think it's been pretty comprehensive up to this point. Like, we're literally at the point where... Until I get one specific re-release version of a particular season of Clone Wars, the series is kind of at a halt. Not because I want it to be, but because there's just not a lot more to talk about unless I'm going to start talking about things like the Family Guy specials <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to start delving too much into those spin-off type things. Yeah, so basically, if you've been afraid to go and check out what Nathan's been doing on YouTube, and you find this episode very interesting, go and check it out. I mean, this that's basically the bread and butter of what you've been doing with the project is, you know, basically, this is just a quick glimpse of everything here, kind of chalked up and giving you the uh, the essential guide version, if you will. <laughs> yeah, because it's really a kind of a fascinating topic. I didn't realize just how much there was to this and how many different approaches have been taken to the films over the years and there's a lot of misconceptions out there 
about different home video releases and what to expect from them. And one of the things that we'll do as we go along here from time to time is throw out sort of what amounts to an urban legend, if you want to call it that, or a misconception about Star Wars on home video, and then try to clear it up because there are things that we've just all kind of assumed to be true for years in many parts yeah. of fandom that turns out aren't. Well, and it's too, the other funny side about it is there have been so many changes and yet fandom locks in on certain ones. You know, Han shot first, Greedo shot first, you know, oh, look at those rocks. I mean, granted, some of those are, are the ones that just came out in the Blu-ray, but there are certain little tiny tweaks here and there that have been the little nitpick to many a fan. I know one of the ones that gets me is the things that weren't changed. Uh, the escape pod hatch that's still blue in all the copies that I've seen. I'm like, come on, you can tinker with all this stuff, but you can't fix that. Uh, but it's one of those interesting aspects of our fandom, you know, the things that we choose to nitpick about. And in this case, because George kept coming back and coming back and he would alter things but not alter other things, it does leave an avenue of places for you to kind of cherry pick and nitpick. And I, I think it is a, a fun place for some conversation. So with that, let's see where we go, Nate. Well, you know, this is going to make you feel better. On the Blu-ray, yes, the inside of the escape pod hatch that was blue is now gray. They did finally fix it in 2011. Woohoo! I'm not sure I ever really noticed it until someone pointed it out, but you know, <laughs> you know, we've all got our little things that drive us nuts. For me, it's um, it's those weird Doctor Who style doors and such that we see where it just doesn't make sense, uh, like Jabba's Palace's <laughs> doors. Um, but we'll get to that, of course. Part of the impetus of doing this now, of course, is. Just recently, about uh, was a month and a half ago, give or take, there was just the release of the Star Wars Digital HD Collection, which was kind of a big deal. Not nearly as big a deal, say, as the Blu-ray release or finally getting the original trilogy on DVD and something like that, but it was promoted fairly heavily, whereas the last big DVD release and Blu-ray release in 2013 got basically no promotion whatsoever except for one quick little article on StarWars.com. Most people didn't even realize it was there. And I just did an episode to cover the Digital HD collection, and there's a lot of questions floating around about that because, let's face it though, people don't necessarily want to repurchase something that they've already gotten unless there is added value to it, unless it seems to have some worth to them, like anything else. Only in this case, there really wasn't an easy way to tell what exactly was going to be included. Um, there were questions as to what cut of the films is it and that sort of thing. Are there differences again? So I guess here's the good news, sort of. If you haven't picked up the digital HD collection version of the Star Wars films, there aren't any new alterations save one. So you're not going to see new scenes, you're not going to see changes to scenes, Han still shoots the same way that he shot back in the Blu-ray release. It's the Blu-ray 2011 cut of the films with all of those changes that made their way onto the Blu-ray. Okay, uh, Bonus feature-wise, there's quite a bit, but not a ton of really cool new stuff. What you've got with each film on digital HD is there's new content and legacy content. New content, in each case is what's called Conversations, which is basically usually a couple of Star Wars uh, bigwigs or a couple of Star Wars uh, creative minds, like Doug Chang or someone, sitting down and having a quick conversation about their experience with Star Wars that lasts maybe four to eight minutes, give or take. And that's it for those. Then you've got what are referred to as Discoveries from Inside, which is basically Jonathan Rinsler going to some 
archive within Lucasfilm to talk to someone, like maybe a costume person or an effects person or a matte painting person, to talk about their part of the creative process and these items, these artifacts, so to speak, that are there on site for them to look at. And then there is a little documentary about George Lucas talking about, you know, the evolution of digital films and special effects and whatnot, which I believe is is something that was put together earlier that just happens to be being released here that wasn't lumped into some previous Star Wars home video release. And then you got the legacy content, which is all this older stuff. And it's sort of a, a, a mix and match of different bonus features that were either stuff that was already a video from StarWars.com or already released on DVD and a mixture of deleted scenes, sometimes from DVD releases, sometimes from Blu-ray releases because the Blu-ray and DVD releases were not the same deleted scenes for the prequel films. So it's kind of this weird mix and match of those. And really the only thing bonus feature-wise that wasn't already existing somewhere Digitally, I guess there's two. Uh, you have the original version of the pod race, which gets its own little feature without the little added extras that it wound up getting once it hit DVD. So very similar to what you got back on the VHS and in theaters. And there's a little featurette called How Walkers Walk, which is a Dennis Murin talking about stop motion animation for the AT-ATs or AT-ATs. Uh, and that actually is from the 1993 Definitive Collection Laserdisc release. So many huh. people wouldn't necessarily have that in their collections. Um, if you bought it through Disney Anywhere, which is an online... Had, had you heard of Disney Anywhere? I hadn't, actually. Okay, okay yeah, me, me neither. Um, apparently, Disney has their own streaming service. Mm. And if you buy through them, you also get uh, one extra uh, little special feature... That new feature is called Scrap Into Gold, a conversation with Roger Christian and others, little conversation-style videos. And then no matter which of the films you buy, or if you buy them as a set, if you buy them through Disney Anywhere, you get one extra bonus feature. The art of Attack of the Clones. Hmm. Yes. I bought A New Hope? I get the art of Attack of the Clones. I bought The Empire Strikes Back? I get the art of Attack of the Clones. Makes no sense. <laughs> really kind of ridiculous. Um, there are some uh, out there who will purport that there is a little video series called Star Wars at Lightspeed, little sort of featurettes, uh, uh, kind of frantic, fast-paced little featurettes on the Star Wars films that you can get through Disney Anywhere, where if you go and buy the films through them, you get access to them. Not true. Yes, those videos exist. Yes, they're on Disney Anywhere. No, you don't have to buy the series because... Uh, they're all free to watch for anyone at any time anyway, oh. so don't buy it for, for uh, Star Wars at Lightspeed. The only well, other exclusives good. were that if you pre-ordered it through um, Xbox Video, I think is what it's called, the Microsoft uh, version that you can get through Xbox and Xbox One and whatnot, uh, you would basically get a little uh, R2-D2 companion for your Xbox 360 avatar, little dude, <laughs> and... You may be familiar with that Star Wars pinball game that came out a couple years ago that is not just a standalone game, but there's also some pinball games that already existed where they're basically like expansion pack tables that take those tables and stick them into those old games. And oh, you nice. get Star Wars pinball for free as an add-on for the free game Pinball FX2. But the exclusive were not something that really seems to have driven people to any particular place this time around. It really seemed like... 
you know, oh, I tend to use iTunes. I'm going to go get it from iTunes. I tend to use, um, I don't know, Google Play. I'm going to go get them from Google Play. There was some effort put into differentiating with exclusive content, but not for all the platforms. And even in, in the case where they did exist, there wasn't much to them. See, and I'm on the fence when it comes to exclusive content like that. Like, the part of me that hates it is, like, I don't like it when you can only get, like, this one deleted scene from Xbox. Like, that that kind of irritates me. But what they did with it, well, on your Xbox, you get an R2 avatar with your thing. That's okay, because that's not something that I'm going to want outside Xbox. I don't play Xbox, so I'm not looking for that one. But you know, it, it makes you wonder, though, is there a definitive version that has everything? Because I think... You know, that would be the thing that, that fans would really want, with, you know, one that has all the bonuses from all the laser discs, all the VHS, all the DVD, every deleted scene that's been out there, all collected on one thing. And I mean, that seems to be like the big praise of Blu-ray is how much storage capacity there is. And you're able to put all this information onto the one disc that would normally be outrageous and you wouldn't be able to do it on a DVD. And and now you have this, what, the 4K stuff coming out and stuff. And it's it's the question of, you know, how much more can you get on these discs? And when can we get a definitive version that has all those little bonuses and stuff? I mean, I don't want to have to shop around and, and hunt down all these different ones to get a, a special bonus. And I'm, I'm not going to, but I know there are fans out there that are. Uh, but it would be cool if they had a version that had it all. But then they wouldn't be able to get you to buy it over and over and over and over again. This is true. The the digital releases kind of they sort of took that approach in that they were collecting things from previous releases as that legacy content as sort of a way of saying here let's give you some added value. Look, uh, if you're trying to make the transition from DVD to digital, well, here's a lot of the stuff you would have had on DVD, but we've never really had any release that gathered together all the bonus features from the previous releases. The Blu-ray, right? Blu-ray. Lots and lots of extra space, lots and lots of extra content. Absolutely. Got a whole disc of extra content for each trilogy, and then another one that was even more extra content on the complete saga set. But, in general, didn't carry over previously existing stuff. Uh, at least not on the, the trilogy discs for the bonus features. Uh, for instance, mm. with the original trilogy, you get the bonus disc on the DVDs back in 2004. Pretty much none of that is carried over at all onto the Blu-ray. Oh, you got deleted scenes, you got all these featurettes on the two-disc DVD releases from the prequel trilogy when they came out in uh, 2001, 2002, and 2005 as far as the DVD releases go. And most of that stuff not carried over either that they haven't really taken advantage of blu-ray for that purpose yet and you would think that with digital they could except maybe being worried about you know streaming and whatnot and they didn't speaking of which this is something that that someone should keep in mind if you're thinking about the digital hd collection i know mark you've mentioned that you were kind of considering it mm -hmm. if you are someone who just wants to watch and you're cool with just streaming it go for it if you are someone who is kind of of the mindset, like we've talked about with things like uh, digital comics and digital books, that, well, I not only want to be able to, to get it offline uh, or download it, but I also want to make sure that I can archive a copy for myself, because if that service is gone or if I don't have an internet connection at the time, I still want to be able to get to my content, right? Like if I download a, a comic through Dark Horse's app or Comixology for Marvel, 
I'm still going to be able to pull that back up again as long as I haven't deleted it. As long as you have internet signal. <laughs> right. Well, turns out that at least at most of the venues that I've looked at, and I only tried iTunes, but I've been asking around to people who don't use iTunes, who use things like Google Play. It looks like with the digital HD collection, you download or can download rather than streaming the movies themselves. Although you can stream them, like for instance with iTunes, I mean I could download it to my computer, download it to my iPad, but I can also just stream it through Apple TV. But the bonus features, streaming only. In fact, if you have no internet connection, when you open up the film, the menu that shows up that gives you options that includes the extras option will not even exist. It'll jump straight into the movie, never giving you a chance to look at extras because with no internet connection, <laughs> you ain't got any! So I guess this goes back into uh, one of the questions that you brought up either, or I think it was right before we recorded, this question of can you get the original version of the films uh, in some form these days, like a nice way of viewing the original theatrical cuts of the films. Yeah. So let me ask you, when do you think, okay, given that A New Hope came out in 77, Empire in 80, Jedi in 82, when do you think was the first time that we ever got, let's say, a home video version of A New Hope that didn't have the A New Hope subtitle on it because it was an earlier version of the movie as far as a home video release we could buy and watch at home? I almost wondered, was there ever a version? Pretty I, much on target there. Yeah, I, I was. I was kind of thinking, yeah, that it it always was uh, a new hope on VHS. Maybe. It, exactly. Exactly. Until 2006, when they sort of made that hodgepodge version that's supposed to be the unaltered version, which is actually the uh, THX remastered 1993 version from Laserdisc with a uh, a really good. Com quality film copy used as the master for that opening with no A New Hope in the opening crawl, there was never a full version of A New Hope for purchase for home video that didn't have the A New Hope subtitle on it. Because these things were not released around the same time that, that we're used to. Like, how long does it usually take for a movie these days once it's in theaters to wind up hitting home video, you think? I think about six to nine months. I know it changed because in 97, I remember Braveheart came out and I wanted to get that on VHS. And I remember when I went down to the movie place, they told me it was going to cost me $80. And I was like, 80 bucks? Like, holy. But that was part of that whole, they couldn't even sell it in the stores until after it had been in the rental places for so many months. It was, it was a really weird setup. But yeah, it, it definitely made me stop and look back on the different changes in prices and stuff. But yeah, about, I'd say six to nine months now. Well, back then, not so much. Uh, A New Hope was released in theaters in 77. It didn't hit home video until 1982. Oh! At least for the full movie. You had these little selected scenes releases on basically 8mm. They call it Super 8. It's 8mm, but it's uh, it's got a slightly bigger picture available, so they call it Super 8. There were selected okay. scenes that were released. You had a black and white version with no sound, a black and white version with sound, a color version with no sound, and a color version with sound. And eventually there were a couple of different ones of these that had different scenes, and if you were to sort of mix and match how you watch them with those selected scenes, you could get sort of an abbreviated version of A New Hope, <laughs> but not the whole thing. And then you also had 
this um, th- there were 16 millimeter versions of the entire film that were out there back in 77, which means no crawl saying a new hope, just the regular crawl. But those weren't actually released on home video for purchase. They were released to like libraries and prisons of all places um, and military bases and whatnot. So you had some of those floating around, but not officially, not legally as, as a regular home video purchase. And they didn't release then until 82. And when wow. they did, it was a big burst. It was, well, I'll tell you, there were four formats. What do you figure the formats were for it to be released at first in 82? In 82. Oh, geez. Well, we got VHS. There's mm-hmm. probably a laser disc. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, what the heck was that other, the beta or what? Yep. Beta Max. VH- yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. it. I was like, what's, it wasn't just beta. It was something else. Uh, and I could not tell you what the fourth one would be. Those are the three we usually think of when we think of the 80s, right? When we think of the, the different home video releases in the 80s. And and by being 82, that does mean, of course, that A New Hope is on the opening crawl because they added that back in as they were doing the lead up into the release of The Empire Strikes Back as episode five. So that's why there's no home video version prior to 86 or prior to 86, prior to a 2006 that is missing the A New Hope on it. All the early VHS ones did. Um, you had VHS, you're right, and Betamax, which is the big format war pair. You had Laserdisc, bigger in Japan, but also somewhat big in the United States. And a thing called CED, Capacitance Electronic Disc. A hmm. CED, I, I guess you're probably familiar with what a Laserdisc looks like, right? It looks kind of like a big CD. Yeah. Yeah, like giant CD, a um, couple different birds of it, CLV, CAV, constant linear or angular velocity, uh, does the speed at which it's spinning change depending on how close to the center of the disc the uh, is being read at the time and, and how that affects, you know, can you do slow motion, that sort of thing. Uh, we're kind of familiar with that concept and how it's sort of a step towards CDs. Take a step backwards. When we're talking about music, before CDs, it's cassette tapes. And I guess you could also include eight tracks in there. Before cassette tapes and eight tracks, it's what? Records. Records. Mm-hmm. And how it, it's not a laser that's used. How's a record get its sound? With a needle. That's what a CED is. Oh. A CED is a big black disc that's like an LP for music that plays its video and audio with a freaking needle. Wow. In your player. They look like these giant computer disks, uh, like the old, not the uh, the black, bigger floppies that were actually floppy, but the smaller disks, the three and a half or whatever uh, disks. Okay. And you stick it in your player, and it gra- these little prongs come in and grab the edges of the what's called the caddy, that thing that looks like a disk that you just sat in there, and you yeah. pull it back out, and a little part of the caddy and this big black LP-style disk stay in your player and play, and then to take it back out, you slide it back in, and it clicks around the disc, and you pull it back out like a computer disc. It's almost like if you if to Whoa. use a computer disc, you had to open it up and take that little black disc out of it to be able to use it. Wow, that's that is crazy. Ah, technology, truly bizarre. Um, a limit to laserdisc and to uh, to the the CEDs back then. Actually, by the way was that you only had two hours worth of space on them. Did you ever try putting, and I I did this when I was younger, you ever try putting all three of the original trilogy films onto a six-hour VHS tape so you could watch them all at once? (laughs) Yes. Oh, God, yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah. You find you try to do that, 
it cuts off the end of Return of the Jedi, right? Because every time the films are longer than two hours, just barely, but longer than two hours. So what they had to do for Laserdisc and CED was they time compressed it. They went through and removed selected frames at a certain rate throughout the entire film so that by the time they did that, by the time they finished, when you play it, it actually has the same story, the same scenes and everything, but plays slightly faster so they were able to shave just enough minutes off of it to get to that two-hour mark so it would fit on those discs. Oh, man, that's like the early days when we were like, we're only going to make hour-long episodes of Star Wars Beyond the Films. And then I'd be sitting there with an hour <laughs> and 20, and I'm like, oh, my God, there's some gold here. Like, uh, that, that's, uh, the limits of technology in that regard are brutal. Which, which that gets me back to, you know, the, the open limitlessness of what they say with Blu-ray. It's like, it just blows me away that they haven't offered all those other little things. You know, the other thing about the theatrical version uh, that was brought up to me before was which theatrical version would we go with? And, and by that, it was brought to my attention that there were more than one version of the film played back in 1977 across the theaters, that there were already changes to the theater versions of the films and therefore, depending on, you know, what country or, or what area of the United States you were watching it in, you could be watching it with some slightly different scenes than someone else. And that was interesting. I hadn't even thought about that before. But I guess in the end, though, that does kind of put the biggest nail in the coffin as to why we haven't got a theatrical version of the film on Blu-ray beyond what we got in the, what was it, the 97 uh, special editions or the 99 special editions we had? Well, it's kind of weird because well, the primary difference back then was audio, right? Because there were some theaters that were equipped with stereo and some weren't. Some were equipped mm -hmm. only for mono sound. So each film, particularly with Empire and, and A New Hope, you can tell a difference. There's a mono version, there's a stereo version. On home video, they only ever went with the stereo version, right? So, for instance, that's why on A New Hope, prior to the 1984 uh, hi-fi audio remastered version that came out on VHS, there was a missing C-3PO line. Whenever he's explaining what's going on with the tractor beam and how it works, about how, you know, if you knock out the power at one terminal, it'll knock out the other ones and allow the ship to leave, etc., etc. Um, there's a chunk of that dialogue that's missing, and as he's supposed to be talking, the characters are just looking at each other like a-holes, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, let's just sit here silently and think about this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because that line was in the mono mix, that wasn't in the stereo audio mix in theaters, and they based their releases on the stereo mix. So the line was just gone. Uh, it's also why when they put together the special editions, sometimes you have these alternate lines that sound like the actors. They are the actors, but you're like, where did it come from? Like, uh, uh, you're lucky you don't taste very good versus you're lucky you got out of there. Or until I can get the shelter up versus until I can get the shelter built. Um, what I find intriguing about it is there have been thanks to those 16mm releases that were in mono. There are clips that you can see of those, and there are actually fans who have done captures of the entire film, like uh, Puggo, Jar Jar Jota is the guy's name that I've got my copy from, um, that lets you see the difference in the video and in that audio quality for the film. So, for instance, there's this urban legend that in the mono version of A New Hope, Sheila Frazier, the actress who played Aunt Beru, didn't do the dialogue, or the opposite, that she did the dialogue and for whatever reason decided to dub it back over with someone else's voice, and that's who we hear in the traditional version of A New Hope. No. She did 
two sets of lines, two different takes on it. And there's one version that shows up in the uh, in the mono mix, and one version that shows up in the stereo mix. There, you know, sometimes it seems when you're watching the stereo mix that her lips and what she's saying are just slightly off, like you know it's dubbed over. It's because of that, because the more natural sounding one, the one that she did, um, that's actually a little less hard ass, I guess is a way to put it, is in the <laughs> mono mix. It's not in the stereo mix. Uh, one other thing that, that really stands out to me with it is you get towards the end of the film, and granted back in 77, until 1997, you didn't have that scene in there, right, with Luke running into Biggs at the base at uh, on Yavin. Yeah. And how it's just sort of like he mentions, this is just having Biggs and Tank left. And then later on, Biggs just shows up during the battle, and a lot of people didn't even realize this is supposed to be his old friend, right? Um, but there's a moment in the Battle of Yavin where Luke has TIE fighters bearing down on him, and he's in deep, deep trouble. You know, he can't shake them. And someone says, I'm on it, Luke, and zips in to try to save him. Do you recall who it is who says, I'm on it, Luke, and dives in? I thought it was Biggs, but maybe it was Wedge. It was Wedge. It's Wedge who says it. And then Luke is still being chased, and he gets frustrated. And he's like, blasted Biggs, where are you? Right? Yeah. And the context of that's a little weird because here it is that Wedge is saying he's coming to help, and yet here's Luke wondering where the hell Biggs is. And the context of that for someone watching it generally is, well, that makes sense. Biggs is his old buddy from Tatooine. They finally reunited. Biggs is there. You know, they're supposed to be watching each other's back like they did when they were younger, and here's Luke in danger. Where the hell is Biggs? He's letting him down, right? <laughs> Um, it's because the line's messed up. It's because in the stereo version, he says, Blast it, Biggs, where are you? In the mono version, he says the line correctly. Blast it, Wedge, where are you? <laughs> He's just basically saying, you said you were coming to help me, and I still don't see your ship, where are you? It's, it's as simple as that. But you have a significant difference that I think adds a, a different context to Luke being willing to work with Wedge, Luke knowing Wedge, and to whether or not Luke's frustration is there for Biggs that is completely changed by one word changing. Just happens to be the one word they changed was a name. Well, that's one of the awesome aspects about Star Wars and with George tinkering. Uh, you know, we're talking about how I look at the lightsabers flickering different and what that could mean and stuff. And that was just a technology aspect, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you could take and you could twist the different angles. The one angle that that I always talk about is the Han shoots first angle. You know, I love that when he shot first, he was more of the renegade. You know, he was the shoot first, ask no questions. And yet by changing it, it kind of changed the character. But it allows the fans to kind of determine who that character is to them. So it is kind of cool that there are all these other versions out there. Uh, but I, I, you know, we talk about the limitations and the in the uh, the expansiveness of Blu-ray, but I don't think you could even fill a Blu-ray with every single version of the film ever made. <laughs> that would be insane. Like, how would you pick one? <laughs> so you asked the question about the different versions, and I think we're used to thinking of set milestones as the different versions of the films, right? There's with A New Hope, right? There's the one that was in theaters that didn't have A New Hope on it as a title. Then you've got once it did. And, well, that's the one that's on VHS, and that goes all the way up until – some people would, would mention the THX remastering, which they say is in 95, which is bogus. 
Um, and then there's a special edition and the DVD and the Blu-ray. See, there's these four main versions, maybe five if you count that theatrical one, of A New Hope. And there's been more subtle changes than that that a lot of times aren't really taken into account. I, I kind of lost count of the number of iterations because you've got the theatrical one. And that's sort of what they tried to recreate in that 2006 disc, as, as, as I'll try to explain here. Then on home video, you've got the version that has the stereo audio track with the A New Hope subtitle on it, which is essentially what you got in theaters right around the time that The Empire Strikes Back was coming out, that, that theatrical re-release over and over again. And then in 1984, they actually went through, we're used to the idea of, you know, remastering for better sound. Well, they already did it before the THX editions. They did it in 1984 to make a hi-fi stereo release. You can tell this on VHS. The original ones... Um, are in these sort of like weird, larger-sized boxes that are almost like drawers that you can pull out. And once you get to sort of the standard VHS case that we're used to, where you slip the disc or the uh, the tape in from the bottom, that's once you get to this remastered audio that's a better track. So they've already tinkered with it once at that point. Uh, you continue on from that, and you get to 1989, and we get the first widescreen release of any kind in the United States. Again, yeah, another misconception is, well, in 1992, there was that special letterbox collector's edition on VHS that had the hologram on the front that you had to get from the Lucasfilm Company store. It was so badass, and it was the first time you could watch the films in widescreen in the United States. Yeah, on VHS. But there was a Laserdisc release three years before that in 89. And in fact, three years before that in Japan was when they were first released in widescreen on Laserdisc. It took three years for them to get over here in widescreen, wow. the place where the films were made. Um <laughs> But then you get to 1993, and they do this definitive collection Laserdisc set, and to make that, they remastered the picture and the sound with the THX process. The version we think of as the 1995 THX remastered edition, right, the original, one last time. They're like, oh, it's this new version of the films. Again, on VHS, sure, but that remastered version, that's just mastered straight off of those Laserdiscs. From oh, 93. Wow. It's it's a version that folks who had Laserdisc already had seen two years prior. Then you've got the 1997 Special Editions, which of course get changed in theaters and then get a home video release. They tinker with the original trilogy again in 2004 for those uh, DVD releases, and those changes stay through 2005 release, 2006, 2008. Some of those ones, weren't those ones where they went back on some of the colors, like some of the lightsaber mm -hmm. colors that they tinkered with, and they were like, oh, no, let's put that back, right? Well, they wound up, that's the one where the coloration was off on the DVDs, and like Luke's lightsaber sometimes in A New Hope looked greenish and kind of washed out, and so yeah. they had to go back and fix that for the Blu-rays. Um, oh, okay. But 2006 is when they do that unaltered edition, supposedly, of the trilogy. And what they did for A New Hope, they grabbed that 1993 THX remastered Laserdisc Master, the one that was released as a THX Remastered Edition on VHS two years later. And Laserdisc, too. They took that, and they chopped off the very beginning, because it had the A New Hope subtitle. And then they went to an earlier film copy, I think it was 32mm uh, film copy from way earlier, and just grabbed that and used that to master the first few minutes, and spliced them together. So oh. it's as close to an unaltered version of A New Hope as we're probably ever going to get. But it's still after the sound has been remastered twice, back in 84 and in 93. So it's still not exactly 
the theatrical version, but it's it's close. That was one of the points that that the friend of mine brought up was like, you know, I think as he put it, I think most people are going to forget how crappy this sounded in theater. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's come a long way. Uh, nowadays, I would say it's they, they hold up very well, which is something we'll talk about. Um, but you take that, you then alter it one more time in 2011, the, the 2004 DVD release. You alter it one more time for 2011. That's the Blu-ray version. It comes out then again, that cut of the film on Blu-ray and DVD in 2013. And now we got this digital release in 2015, which for A New Hope actually is just the same thing that you got on the Blu-ray release and that uh, that DVD-Blu-ray combo pack a couple of years ago. For Empire and Jedi and the prequels, there is one alteration, which we're building up to, uh, one alteration for the digital HD edition. And that is the opening fanfare. Because, you see, there's this deal, basically, that was made with 20th Century Fox way back in the day where they get distribution rights to A New Hope pretty much forever. And they haven't given that up, obviously. So Disney, when re-releasing A New Hope digitally, they couldn't dump the 20th Century Fox part of the fanfare. So you'd have the 20th Century Fox logo, the dun da 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 you know, all that stuff, taking us into the Lucasfilm logo, taking us into a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and so forth, right? Traditional music, what we are used to. But 20th Century Fox had no rights over distribution anymore for any of the other Star Wars films. And Disney wasn't about to give them credit and give them a cut of something they didn't deserve <laughs> legally. So they've got this spliced, garbage little, uh, in my opinion, quick little thing where there is no 20th Century Fox logo. It's just the Lucasfilm logo coming up. And it's this weird splice of two different bits of music, like old trailer music and whatnot, that gets spliced together for this really disjointed sounding and jarring new fanfare as the Lucasfilm logo shows. I can only hope they're going to make that better, probably with a Disney logo, I bet, in The Force Awakens. Because the ones on those digital releases, it's the one change, but it does technically make it a new iteration of episodes 1, 2, 3, 5, and 6. I'm hoping that they'll fix that because it, it is very jarring on this edition. See, I, I didn't find it so jarring, but your reaction is a more common reaction. Um, it, it's, it's weird because before that even came down, I know that that was a hot topic for a lot of fans and fandom. You know, a lot of people don't want to see a Disney castle and those kind of things. I'm kind of on the fence because like, I think about what Tron did with their Disney castle. And I think about the different Disney castle openings where they, they keep it true to that genre and stuff. Uh, I believe Pirates of the Caribbean have one that's kind of similar to theirs that also stays true to Disney. But the Tron one especially is the one that really jumps out to me. I really loved what they did with the castle for that. And I would love to see something like that with a Coruscant theme or something along those regards. I think that'd be kind of cool to see. Maybe a bad robot logo that is BB-8 this time. <laughs> bad yeah. robot. The other cool thing about having the Fox one stay the same, though, is it's that angle of how do you watch the films? You know, people, they always talk about, well, let's watch it chronologically now. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six. But I think that that, that one sets the precedence that you're supposed to be watching it four, five, six, one, two, three, because that one's special. That one's got its opening is different. It's the one that sets the stage. So I kind of like it in that regard as well, you know? Yeah, and that logo, or the, the 20th Century Fox label being put on stuff, that's something not just within the film. That is a distinguishing factor for those who are collecting, like I do, collecting the home video releases, because you start out with 
basically 20th Century Fox video as the logo on early releases, but very early on. By the time you basically get to 1983, you instead have this CBS Fox logo on everything. So there are early versions of the films where the only distinguishing feature between the versions, it's not what's on the tape itself or on the Laserdisc itself, is when you look at the packaging, does it have the 20th Century Fox logo? Does it have CBS Fox? And then eventually uh, you get, oh gosh, you get uh, you know Fox Home Entertainment, and it changes periodically as the company itself changes either names or who's acquired it or who they've acquired or just what logo they're going with on all their, their multimedia products. And of course now going forward, we'll have the Disney logo on these physical releases as they're arriving. So uh, that's something that is notable. Uh, for instance, I didn't realize it really early on until I was looking into collecting some of the VHS tapes that I didn't have. I had a pretty decent sized collection, but I didn't think of it as a collection. And then I realized I have almost all the VHS anyway. I'm going to go ahead and start collecting these things. And it just kind of grew <laughs> from there. Um, but in 1992, when I was fairly young and I was able to save up the money and give it to my mom so she could order that definitive collection for me, I also ordered a couple of other things, including the box set of the full screen versions. This like black brick of the full screen version. The first, what I thought was the first box set of the films. Turns out, that was in 92. There was a box set in 1990 that looked virtually identical from the outside. The boxes are a little bit different if you look at the backs of them, but mm. those are all inside the box. You wouldn't have noticed that on the shelf. The only distinguishing feature between them, if you're trying to look for them on the shelves, is the logo. One of them says CBS Fox. One has the newer updated logo on it. You never would have been able to tell until fans really started doing this heavy cataloging of the different variants and whatnot to realize these actually were two different releases in two different years, albeit with what amounts to virtually identical content. So it's, it is, you know, it's a nuance, I think. It's kind of like the different printings of comics where, you know, you might have, well, uh, it's, the, it's the same first printing, but is it the direct market edition or is it the one with the actual, you know, barcode that you can scan kind of thing with comics? Yeah. Speaking of numbers here, let, let's let's throw some numbers out so that people can understand that we, we're talking a lot of changes. How many changes are we talking from episode four to episode five to episode six to episode one, two, three? How many versions of each of those films have we had tinkered with in any form or fashion? Well, for A New Hope, you've got the original uh, theatrical version, if we want to call it that, but it's not a home video release that would have had no A New Hope subtitle and been in stereo and mono. Then you've got the stereo one that has the A New Hope subtitle on it that wound up also appearing on home video. you got that change in 1984 with the audio remastering. you got the change in 93 being THX remastered. you got the 97 version uh, as the special editions, the 2004 edition for DVD, the 2011 edition for Blu-ray, and then it didn't change for digital. A little bit less than that, with, as far as the original trilogy goes, the other ones for Empire, you essentially just have the original version, right, which maintains itself all the way through until 1993 when they do the THX remastering. And then it's the same as A New Hope in that you got the 1997 Special Editions, 2004 DVD, 2011 mm -hmm. Blu-ray. But then it gets that new 2015 tweak with that fanfare. Mm -hmm. Basically the same thing for Return of the Jedi. 
Uh, and these are assuming we're not also counting the fact that, except for Return of the Jedi, all of them, when placed on CED and Laserdisc, did have a time-compressed version of them. Slightly time-compressed. They did not do that for Jedi. By the time they got there, they just added an extra disc, basically, just to, to make up the extra time. Uh, <laughs> with Phantom Menace, you actually have the theatrical edition, including eventually the 3D theatrical edition. And you have a VHS version that's essentially the same. And then they tweak it for, and that's in uh, 2000. It took a year. Basically, it was five years for A New Hope to hit VHS after being in theaters. It was four years for Empire, three years for Jedi, one year for Phantom Menace, and then after that, it's coming out in the same year. Um, so 2000's uh, VHS version, and then you got the 2001 slightly tweaked DVD version, and then it gets tweaked just a teeny tiny bit for Blu-ray, and then gets the, the fanfare changed again in 2015. Attack of the Clones, you've got the IMAX version and the regular theatrical version of it, but then the the, uh, the regular theatrical version with any added scenes and whatnot wind up showing up on VHS and DVD. Then it gets tweaked again for Blu-ray and for uh, digital HD, same ways, basically, as, as Phantom Menace. Then, oddly, Revenge of the Sith. The theatrical version has uh, a wipe... As you get to the point where, where Obi-Wan is leaving Mustafar, there's a wipe as a transition. And when it was released on home video, it, by the way, being the only one in the U.S. that never saw a VHS release. You cannot have a full U.S. VHS collection of all six Star Wars films. There wasn't yep. one for Revenge of the Sith. Um, they took that wipe and turned it into just a regular cut. And then when they put it on Blu-ray, they changed it back. <laughs> and then on, on digital HD, of course, it has that new fanfare. So really the only tweak home video-wise, version-wise for Revenge of the Sith is just whether it's a wipe or whether it's just a regular cut at that instant. Otherwise, it's pretty much the same. Wow. If you want to talk about different releases as opposed to variants uh, of the actual content, because different home video releases will have different bonus features. They'll have different packaging. They might have different previews on them. It just sort of depends on what it is. Um even down to nuances like, hey, it's a CBS Fox logo versus 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. I, at this point, have three copies of A New Hope on Blu-ray, 12 on DVD, one on VCD, two Super 8 ones, but I don't count those because they're not the full film, uh, two on CED, nine on Laserdisc, and 16 on VHS, along with four on Betamax, for a total of 47 different copies of A New Hope on physical media. That does not count the digital HD collection. I have 37 copies of Empire, uh, 36 copies of Return of the Jedi, 10 copies of The Phantom Menace, 8 of Attack of the Clones, and 7 of Revenge of the Sith. Again, not counting digital HD releases. And these are all separate and distinct releases product-wise for a collector of this sort of thing. Wow! <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, kind of insane. And some of these were kind of expensive at the time. You mentioned the Braveheart thing, and Star Wars kind of went through its own Braveheart thing back in 77, or uh, back in 82, when A New Hope first came out, because that's mm -hmm. back in an era when people usually, they may have owned a VCR, but they didn't necessarily use it for purchasing videos. They would rent them, or they'd record them themselves, like off a of TV. So, to actually buy a movie was kind of unusual, and they were usually pretty pricey when that happened. Yeah. So A New Hope actually hit at about 80 bucks, like you were saying, for Braveheart. But this is in 1982 dollars, so very expensive at the time. 
And before it came out late in the year in that form, where you could buy it in that one, again, I said it kind of looks like a drawer that you pull out as far as the casing for that VHS tape goes. And no frills, no trailers, no nothing on that VHS tape. It's just the film. No warnings, <laughs> nothing. Um, there was a home video rental library release that basically was just going to stores so that they could rent it out and then get it back, right? Which is what's supposed to happen at a rental store. And so many people kept renting it and never bothering to return it at so many places <laughs> around the country that a lot of stores started doing what they called lifetime rentals. Come in and pay us an exorbitant amount of money, more than it would even cost to buy it later that year on home video to get it a few months early. Give us that huge amount of money. We'll call it a lifetime rental. Technically, it's a rental. We're not breaking our agreement with the distributor, but you never have to actually return it. <laughs> oh man i've actually got those as part of the collection that's part of what convinced me whenever i started picking those up that hey i could actually make a collection out of this to add to what's already there um but you can tell they're in these clamshell cases and there's a, a version of it that's on vhs and there's a, a betamax version <laughs> of the same thing it's technically not supposed to be but that's kind of like those 16 millimeter ones that people were smuggling away from military bases and prisons <laughs> and such, right? what you got there is that nuclear secrets Nah, man, it's a new hope. <laughs> oh, I can see the prequel to Fanboys now. <laughs> I gotta get this out of the prison. Where are you smuggling it? I can't tell you. And it's funny you mentioned the prequels in that uh, one of the things that we talked about early on, uh, again, I, it's we talked about this a lot, so I'm not sure if it's right before we recorded or right at the beginning of the show, was this question of whether they're holding up at this point. And it's funny uh, the the original trilogy seems to hold up better on home video in a lot of ways than the prequels do. Uh, I'm assuming it's probably because of the practical effects, the fact that so much of it was models as opposed to CGI. Because we're sort of trained these days uh, as viewers, when we see CGI, we can sort of tell what CGI is dated and what still holds up. Uh, mm -hmm. And we know when to, a lot of times, pick out when something is CGI, particularly if it's something from about 10 years or more ago. Especially with the new technologies. I mean, mm -hmm. your TVs and stuff really pointed out. We were shopping for TVs the other day, and we were looking at the 4K TVs, and they had uh, – one was playing Avengers, and one was playing the new Transformers. And that new Transformers looked like crap. I mean, they would go – from scenes that would look really like blurry and, and, and like it had been degraded a lot to you could tell that it was animation added to the screen. And then you go and look at the Avengers one and it was just glorious, brilliant all the way across. It was like, wow, you could really tell when there was a flaw on that 4K. Yeah, it's it's, it's one of those those uh, it's pitfalls, I guess, of the advancing technology that's going to make things clearer. So if you thought you could get away with something that wasn't quite as clear as it could be, now it's going to stand out like a sore thumb. Like I'm, I'm interested in, but kind of dreading watching or rewatching Babylon Five on my HD television. It's not an <laughs> HD copy; it's a DVD copy. But I'm kind of thinking that the, the some of the effects things are going to stand, out, especially in those early seasons. But what I'm finding is that you can sort of see the flawed nature of the CGI effects in all the films. In all, all the way across the board. Yeah. A little bit more on the HD releases, but they are nicely mastered, relatively cleaned up, so they're in pretty good shape for their age as far as the films themselves go. Uh, it was a decent conversion for HD. But at the same time, it's interesting to me that I could look at the Battle of Naboo, 
or the Battle of Coruscant, and they're really cool-looking battles. And mm -hmm. you don't necessarily... It's not so much that you see the flaws in the CGI so much as there's like an unreality to what you're seeing. Because you mm -hmm. know it's CGI, there's so much of it, and there's just something about it on the screen that makes it sort of feel like animation, as mm -hmm. opposed to feeling like it's supposedly real. But then you watch the Battle of Endor, where it's pretty much all models, and all they really did tinkering-wise over the years was to go in and clean up the picture and remove some of the box-type shapes around the way that they put it together and composited it back in the day, and mm -hmm. it still looks gorgeous. It looks cleaner and clearer a lot of times than what we're getting in the CG scenes that were very well done, but still CG. So it makes me wonder if part of what J.J. Abrams is doing in moving back to practical effects if it's not just this idea, well, we want to sort of get back to the way Star Wars was done. And part of it may just be, hey, the better the picture gets, the more we need something physical here to hold up over time. Because we know that the viewer is going to be very discerning. And for all we know, they could be watching this in higher resolution in the future than we ever dreamed while we were actually recording it. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting conundrum. But for some, for a film that at this point is decades old. All the films, actually, except for uh, the prequels. For the original trilogy films being decades old, they do hold up still pretty well on Blu-ray and in digital HD. But again, it's because of all the remastering that's been done. It's because of all the care they've taken in doing that. Take a comparison of, say, the Blu-ray, and go ahead and pop in that bonus disc from 2006. And... Check out the way that it looked back on that 1993 laser disc. Granted, there's a little bit of a quality degradation going to DVD from that original master. Uh, it looked actually a little bit clearer on laser disc. But take a look and make that comparison, and it is night and day, even though it's the same film. So you know, got to give credit to Lucasfilm for managing to make these films stand the test of time. But it's not without some maintenance. You know, it's like a car. You know, the car may run great. But you've got to go in and get the oil changed from time to time. You've got to get that timing belt changed from time to time because no matter how great it is, no matter how well it serves, no matter how good it looks on the outside, you still have to maintain it. Otherwise, eventually it is going to degrade. Well, I think it illustrates an interesting point because I think most people would think that the original trilogy would look worse. It would look more dated because it's the older film. Uh, but yeah, the practical models definitely are the mainstay, that, that, that physical aspect that you're talking about for J.J., I, I think it's interesting, especially because, like, with the 4K TVs, like, they don't even have – the film side technology hasn't even caught up to what they're capable of putting out there yet. Like, there's no content for those 4K TVs yet. Uh, so that's an interesting aspect as well. But I, I think that that is the smart angle that JJ's playing here. You know, they know that they've got technology like 4K that's coming. They know that it's going to make things look even better. And we found out. That on Blu-ray, the prequel trilogy doesn't look as good as the original trilogy. And that physical aspect is the key. And so I, I think, yeah, I think JJ's smart. I think by bringing in more models and stuff that depending on where technology goes, you will have that permanent physical angle that isn't going to be changing. That, you know, you can go in and add some effects to that, but that will always be that model no matter what. Shot from that one angle, no matter what. Uh, so, I yeah, it, it, it's cool because, like, you know, you hear about these numbers and all these changes and stuff, and it's so quick and easy to, to kind of 
tease George Lucas. Oh, well, George is just after the cash. But when you follow the actual story of the reasons why, you know, the mono and the stereo and the this limitation and the that limitation, and the new technology and the, you know, the, the different races for technologies and stuff like that and see how that forced the film to evolve along the way. It, it's just very interesting. And, and it's, it's fun too, because it, you know, that aspect where you want to kind of attack Lucas all the time for tinkering with crap. It's like, well, maybe it wasn't quite all his fault. You know? Yeah. He's got a few things that he did in the Blu-rays where people are like, really, why we do that. But for the most part, most of the changes were there for a reason. Uh, and, and it's interesting that you have to actually hunt it down and figure it out that there's not much out there to tell it to you straight. That's why you need to go and check out Nathan's YouTube video. I did a plug there. Um, What's interesting, I think, also is if you look at the original trilogy, what the parts that don't hold up are the 1997 CGI. Ah. Uh -huh. You know, it's you know, it's the the Battle of Yavin. It looks more dynamic than it did, of course, back when it was models. But at the same time, it stands out more as well. This is CG. It's dated, just like you know, 99 and 2002 and 2005 look uh, dated to us at this point. Um, one other thing that kind of stands out to me as far as, as these different uh, releases and such go over the years is how it's sort of like Star Wars relationship with the media, uh, the different mediums, the different physical uh, media seems to be somewhat unusual in that it was really sort of a VHS player seller back in the day, VHS or Betamax or Laserdisc in a lot of ways seller. Not sure how many people actually picked up a CED player to play Star Wars, but probably there were some people who did. But Star Wars was around during that big format war, right? So you got it on all four of those different uh, media. And actually, for every VHS release prior to the box sets, there is a corresponding Betamax release of A New Hope and of Empire and of Jedi. And then finally it gets to the point where Betamax has died off. Laserdisc actually continues all the way up uh, until, I guess, it was 1997 when the special editions came out. VHS continues on until... Uh, 2000 for the original trilogy, 2002 for Attack of the Clones for the prequel trilogy. Um, but you had basically the next format war. Star Wars sat it out, right? You had HD, DVD versus Blu-ray. Never the Star Wars films released at all in HD while that was going on. Until HD, DVD was dead and gone, they still waited a few years to put it out on Blu-ray. Uh, DVD didn't really have a heavy competitor at the time. But again, it's, it was the most clamored for film. Now, granted, by the time it came out, most people had DVD players, so it wasn't a DVD player seller as much, but then along comes the Blu-ray, and it becomes a Blu-ray and PlayStation seller at the time, because at the time, uh, the Xbox 360 could not play Blu-rays. PlayStation 3 did, and it was a Sony format, so you could wind up getting either a Blu-ray player or a PlayStation 3 to play it. Now you can also play it on Xbox One and on PlayStation 4, and now we have this digital release, which I don't think is necessarily going to cause people to necessarily, you know, jump to buy a new digital device. But it, it's this un, it's just an unusual thing. It's like Star Wars. It's either playing a role in winning format wars or or, or in uh, the heating up of format wars. Or they're just delaying like mad as people are just clamoring for it and clamoring for it and clamoring for it. And you can make the argument, I guess, that, well, part of what made the sales numbers so great for, say, the Complete Saga on Blu-ray was that people were waiting for so long to get Star Wars on Blu-ray. Same thing for the original trilogy on DVD back in 2004. 
But I got to wonder if that really is a valid argument because, granted, people were excited about it. And people were waiting for it and waiting for it. But you got to wonder, you know, does that really change the sales numbers that much? And if it doesn't, was the delay really just because Lucas was tinkering so much with the films? Um, or is there some other rational explanation for why they took so long relative to other films to be able to put them out? You know, once you've done the restoration process once, it makes it somewhat easier for the later restoration process, especially if you do it in a higher quality than actually winds up on that media. Um, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see what the thought process was within Lucasfilm uh, and within Fox at the time as to why and what the whys and wherefores were to certain release timings that they went through. Not necessarily what was on the discs, but why wait so long to release on this particular format after it's already become the standard out there? Well, and the other side of that, too, is the 3D versions. I mean, we've now got all the films in a 3D version, and yet we don't have a home version of the 3D films. That's true. The prequel films, at least, have the 3D versions, right? We had the theatrical uh, the Phantom Menace, and then at different conventions, different celebrations, they've shown Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. I hope that's on its way. There weren't substantial changes. The Blu-ray cut of the films, basically, just given the 3D treatment, and Phantom Menace was an eh 3D treatment. But I think that one, it's the opposite. It's not so much that there's a huge clamoring for it, because 3D televisions on the home market just have not kicked off the way that some thought they would, um, mainly because they're so expensive. The only reason I've got one is that, and you can find these still out there, it's a little bit tougher to find them now, but you can. Uh, Sony, because they built 3D, or they, they updated the firmware, uh, to add 3D capability to the PlayStation 3 for gaming, they released a PlayStation-branded, uh, decent size but not huge, a TV that had 3D capability with a little PlayStation logo on it rather than regular Sony and sold it for, I forget, this is a few hundred bucks as opposed to thousands. Um, and you could get it for the home, plug it up to the PS3, and because the PS3 is a Blu-ray player, could also play 3D Blu-rays on it. But most homes don't have access to a 3D television, or even if they could go buy one, don't have access to a 3D Blu-ray player, or may not even realize that they do if they've got one of the gaming systems that allows it. Um... It just never really kicked off on the home market. So people like me, I mean, I'm out when I buy the Marvel films, I'm making sure to get the 3D version of it. I, I picked up the 3D version of Jupiter Ascending. Yes, love it or hate it. Picked up the future, the uh, 3D version of that little futuristic Matrix Trilogy guys, uh, Matrix Trilogy team film. And, you know, even then, I don't tend to watch it all that much in 3D at home, but I like having the option of it. And when I do watch them in 3D, they're really, really well done. But how many people are actually going to bother to do that at home? Uh, you would think the sales numbers would, would be pretty big and perhaps even drive the sales of 3D TVs. Because this could be one of those killer apps, perhaps, especially if the original trilogy were released that way. But I'm assuming they're just looking at it saying, well, the market just isn't there. Or they're hopefully just waiting for a future yet again re-releasing that has... 3D versions of either the, tri the prequel trilogy or maybe all of them. Uh, again, who knows? Because their timing always seems to be very bizarre. Well, and there seems to be a stigma about whether or not the version of the 3D. I know that there's the Dolby 3D and then there's the Real D. And for me, when I go to watch them, 
I cannot stand watching Dolby 3D. I love the real D, but I hate that Dolby. And they only have the Dolby here in town, so I won't watch a movie in 3D here in, in my town. I'll travel 30 miles to the next town over to watch it in the Dolby. Uh, it just makes that much of a difference. Uh, and I think that that's the other side of it is, you know, people, they don't want to wear the glasses. Uh, and then depending on which way the technology is being used, those glasses are either a huge hindrance or they're okay. I mean, I, I don't know what you have, but I know the Dolby has that kind of uh, uh, sunglasses kind of tinted look to them. Whereas the real D, uh, they're kind of like the Buddy Holly glasses and they're clear. Uh, you can see through them. Uh, and, and that is, is huge for me. Like when I'm watching movies with that Dolby, I, I have that old, like when you put on the blue and, and red glasses feel like where you're like, is this really working? Like I got to kind of focus and unfocus my eyes. And so I feel like as I'm watching the whole film, like everything feels blurry because I'm not ever able to really focus on anything. And I think that, you know, that's been the biggest turnoff for me with the thought of anything 3d in the home. Uh, and, and I think that they're going to have to figure that out and kind of get over that you know, that, that feeling that people have, you know, that misconception people have of 3d based off of what they've seen in the theaters. Well, the ones that I have, the ones that Sony uses with that particular TV, you put them on and they basically, I mean, they're kind of bigger. They look like oversized sunglasses to a degree and you put them on and you can see through them normally. And then when the actual film starts, it dims a little bit and on the screen and then the glasses themselves, actually it controls the, uh, the the dimness and whatnot, I guess, is a way to put it, of the lenses. So they go oh. darker. And wow. what's happening is it's filtering out the signals as they come in or the images as they come in as to what it's what each eye is seeing out of what's being shown within the screen frame by frame um, to create that 3D effect of it. Um, the downside for me is the fact that I wear glasses already. And unlike some of the ones in movie theaters where you've got those bigger ones that you can very easily slide over glasses and it's not a big deal and it sort of shades out any side light so there's no glare off your glasses, um, most home media glasses for 3D televisions don't do that. So I uh -huh. have to put these glasses on top of my regular glasses to watch, and it's like wearing sunglasses on top of regular glasses. Um, you're <laughs> going to get a significant amount of um, of glare off of not just anything around you, but also some glare off the television as you've got one set of glasses reflecting into the other. Uh, it's not a perfect setup. I mean, it's mm -hmm. serviceable, and it's cool to be able to watch stuff in 3D at home, especially if it's a really well-done 3D film. But it's, it's not going to give you necessarily that same theatrical experience if you are someone who wears glasses, just because you know the home items at least the typical home items that you get aren't going to mm. tend to be as accommodating to some of the glasses as otherwise. Yeah. Well, and if they ever make the 3d stuff where it works along the lines of the Blu-ray stuff it, where everything kind of works together, I think that would be something too, that would be more handy for people. Uh, you know, when you think about just to, to go from a regular, you know, TV and stuff and to go into the Blu-ray, you know, you got to get that 1080p, you got to have the HDMI cable, you have to have a TV capable of running all that stuff. And then to do the 3D, you're looking at that same kind of upgrade for all your equipment, basically, right? Or, or are you able to use any of your old Blu-ray equipment? Like the HDMI cable, you're still able to use that, or do you have to have a special 3D one of that as well? You need a high-speed HDMI cable, which most of the ones you buy these days will be a high-speed HDMI cable. But yeah, some of the earlier HDMI cables will not work with um, that kind of, of 3D 
output. Obviously, it's the data amount or whatever the deal is. But yeah, you do have to have a special one. And you have to have a special player, right? I mean, unless mm. you've got a PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3, and I think Xbox One can do it now uh, in 3D, you wouldn't be able to actually use the 3D capabilities because you, a regular Blu-ray player isn't going to be able to read the data uh, that way. What's interesting to me, you talk about, you know, we're talking about the different um, capabilities of the discs. And this is not something I've seen in a movie, but I've seen it in a game. When I picked up the Xbox One, the reason I did was because I wanted to play the Halo Master Chief Collection. Uh, the buildup of Halo 1, 2, 3, and 4 as, as 5 is about to come out and all of that. And on one of them, I, I can't remember, I want to say it was, it may have been Halo 2, it may have been 1 and 2, I think it was 2. Um, it's set up in such a way that as you're playing, you can click a button and click back and forth between the original Xbox graphics and sound and the newly remastered graphics and sound. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And the only time it really is jarring at all is within cutscenes because the new cutscenes were sometimes a little bit longer than the originals and a little more dynamic. So it wasn't exactly like you were clicking and seeing, you know, here's the character standing there with this skin on him. Now click it over. Now it's a much more high resolution skin. But you would hope that as the media grows, uh, as, as Blu-ray grows and as we get to either something that's just much, much larger download sizes for uh, digital media, or we get sort of a successor to Blu-ray, that perhaps we would finally be able to see something like, hey, here's one disc with all the versions of A New Hope on it. Let's click through and see you know, what those differences actually are. Um, there wouldn't, it wouldn't be able to be entirely synced up. So you might have like one that's the baseline that happens to be the longest one, and then on the ones that aren't, maybe if you're just clicking back and forth, there's some spots where it'll say, you know, there's no equivalent of this scene or something like that. But it'd be mm -hmm. cool to be able to do that type of thing like you can do with that game on movies, for instance, especially those. And you know that they would try to sell those individually, and you know they would still do it for Revenge of the Sith, even though the only change is that wipe. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. We want your $40. And people would buy it. That's that's mm -hmm. the thing is, is they'd be rushing out there. Uh, you know, that's the one aspect about it that, that's funny for those poor completionists out there that have been doing this from day one. They're like, what's some new content? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, for me, it was the 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 big holy crap moment was, gosh, it was, was it October of 13, I guess it was. Um with where, the zero amount of information on the blue well, or the DVD, <laughs> there was no information given really that you were getting. Okay, they, they released that Blu-ray DVD combo pack. They did not ever explain whether or not the copies on DVD were going to be the ones from previous releases released again, or it was the Blu-ray version of the film released on DVD. Also, it turns out that was the case, which made them new DVDs because we hadn't had that cut on DVD before, just on Blu-ray. But there was no fanfare, no real explanation about it. I had to actually buy them, check them, and start letting people know, which was just insane. Odd. <laughs> yeah, very odd. But at the same time they were releasing that, they had, I want to say it was a three-pack thing of Clone Wars oddities that were out there. But they were also releasing the last Cartoon Network Season 5 of Clone Wars on Blu-ray and DVD and the complete seasons one through five, which, of course, we now know isn't actually complete because there was a season six. And, of course, there's still the film of the Clone Wars being released on DVD and Blu-ray as giant boxed sets. So for a completionist, uh, 
there I was buying one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different home video releases, some of which were really pricey because they were giant box sets, all basically in the same week or two week period. Little rough. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah, the completionists out there, we will, we are in a position to double dip. So I guess in September, I think it is when the first season of Rebels winds up hitting home video, it'll be another Blu-ray DVD thing, because I'm assuming they're still going to do DVD. And that's another thing that's kind of interesting with this stuff is when an old format dies off. You know, you still had, with the original trilogy, uh, you still had VHS up until 2000, but there was no overlap between VHS and DVD. In fact, there was a four-year gap between the last VHS release and DVD for the original trilogy. Um, There wasn't really an overlap with DVD. There was a 2008 release. And there were no new releases of the original trilogy until you get to 2011 with the Blu-rays. With the prequels, though, uh, you did have some overlap, right? You had uh, The Phantom Menace get released in 2000 on VHS, then 2001 on DVD. And then uh, Attack of the Clones had VHS and DVD at the same time. And then Revenge of the Sith got rid of the VHS. But, you know, we're used to this idea of, you know, there, there was this transition period between uh, VHS and DVD where you could get... Films on both, and DVD was just growing, and Star Wars in a lot of ways sort of dodged that. Um, there, there usually were gaps in between. It wasn't like they were trying to promote two different versions at the same time, granted sometimes only a year apart. But uh, it's interesting as, as we see those transitions, because Star Wars has been around for so long that it winds up in all these different forms. I mean, heck, Star Wars even got a release, uh, not a full film release, but... Uh, you may recall that when you would go to Walmart in 2005 and buy Revenge of the Sith, you could get a special bonus disc called The Story of Star Wars. It had two little videos on it. One's a story of yeah. Anakin, one's a story of Luke. Those were actually originally on discs for a player um, from Tiger Electronics, I believe it was, called the Video Now Player. They could only play about half an hour worth of content on each disc, and there was a behind-the-scenes disc, too, that was basically stuff, for the most part, that we'd seen on other releases and whatnot. But those were called P. VDs, personal video discs. So Star Wars even gets a PVD release, like it got CED releases. Star Wars is released on all these unusual media, but it misses HD DVD entirely. Um, and you can see this evolution over time, like the evolution on Laserdisc, we didn't really get into so much, but the evolution of when do they finally start not being time compressed? At what point do they go from extended play discs, which are the ones... Um, that can fit two hours onto one disc to something a little bit bigger, which is the standard play disc. But standard play discs, while needing more discs for a film, also allow for uh, more freeze frame and frame by frame clicking through the film and stuff like that. Uh, uh, that finally allowed us to do that. You know, at what point, you know, we get to uh, a release of uh, The Empire Strikes Back on Laserdisc, which becomes the first surround sound release. And then you get to the point where, okay, well, now here's the films for the first time in Dolby Digital uh, sound and so forth. It's this unusual thing to see one franchise able to chart the waters of that many years of home video. I mean, 1982, 77, if you want to count the ones that weren't full films, but 1982 up to 2015, consistently seeing periodic releases of what's basically the same films with tweaks with approaches changed and tweaked for different media and and so often with bonus materials that get released in one release and then never seen again or materials that aren't released in all markets like the definitive edition 
Laserdisc set was awesome, but did you know there was a definitive collection VHS set? No. Not here. In the UK? In the UK? Yeah. Ah! There is an, it's an amazing VHS set with uh, the THX remastered versions of the film, so the original's in great, great visual condition, uh, plus specials, plus all kinds of bonus features on there, including stuff carried over from the Laserdisc set and elsewhere, some of the little specials that you see on that, that ninth disc of the Blu-ray set in 2011. Fantastic. It has the scripts of the movies in it, has art prints from the films in it. Absolutely incredible. Uh, best known to people these days as the Executor set. Because the whole set is in this box that makes it look like a cargo container from the Superstar Destroyer Executor. Awesome. Never released in the U.S. Ever. Now, another question, one that we got on Facebook from one of our Beyonders is, is there a place to find all the old bonus features? Is it a place like YouTube or is it a place like StarWars.com that they have them all streaming and available for us to see? Or is that just one of those things where you're going to have to hope somebody's got a YouTube video out there? Or they're just going to have to see what you got going on on your... Uh... From the Star Wars Home Library? Not really. I mean, the stuff that was bonuses just on Blu-ray, some of that carried over into the digital releases, but most of it didn't. The DVDs, most of those bonus features carried over into the digital HD releases. Um, but as you start going backwards, I mean, really the only bonus feature carried over from the Definitive Collection later disc was that whole How Walkers Walk on the, D uh, on the uh, uh, digital HD release. There's still all kinds of little specials and whatnot and little bits and little interviews and whatnot uh, from, say, 1997 or 1995 releases that aren't on there. Um, fortunately, I guess you could say it's fortunately, prior to 95, or I guess prior to 93 with the Laserdiscs, there weren't a lot of bonus features to speak of. So much it was just things like trailers, like trailers for, you know, the 10th anniversary of Star Wars and the VHS collection. Or, or look, it's the first time you can buy them as a box set, those Mm -hmm. types of things. Um, but there are still quite a few bonus features, particularly ones that were originally on VHS, usually stuck either right before or right behind the film, uh, before usually for interviews, behind for featurettes, um, that just haven't gotten a, a re-release. So unless, again, somebody puts them up on YouTube or whatnot, um, chances are it's unlikely to be able to see them, and I highly doubt we're ever going to have one place to go for them. There are some that have found their way onto StarWars.com, but it's the rare, rare exception. And usually the stuff that's showing up on StarWars.com or on newer digital releases or newer digital media like Blu-ray are things that already existed digitally, say, on something like, like DVD. You know, they're, they're not going mm -hmm. back to those analog sources. Now, that is not to say that somebody couldn't do it. I've actually gone through all of my VHS versions of the films and all of those bonus features so that I don't have to keep playing on a VHS player uh, or risk screwing up the tapes, I've digitized all of it. Nice. Because I want to make sure that I've got that as part of my little video library for personal use. But officially, no such thing, and I'm betting never. If only because even if it was doable, I'm not sure who'd have the rights to all the pieces. I'm not sure that Disney could re-release a lot of that stuff. Oh, that is a slippery slope and some trepidatious waters. <laughs> so so that actually tells you that that maybe we need to look at the pirates to bring all those bonus features to us. I'm not going to throw any names under the bus out there, but if you happen to be ballsy, 
give us your link. <laughs> now, what would you say was probably some of the best uh, of the versions out there? Most content for your buck, if you will. Well, um, on Blu-ray, if you like that cut of the films or you want a bunch of new bonus features, the complete saga set is absolutely the way to go. You lose all the bonus features except for commentaries when you go to either the individual trilogy sets, right? Because those are only three discs each. You lose those three bonus Blu-rays by getting them individually. Uh, and the 2013 release with the DVD also included. Um, but that same cut, no bonus features really to speak of at all. It's just commentary and nothing else. Oh. From the standpoint of the DVD versions of the original films... I would say, uh, I mean, really, for the prequels, it doesn't really matter, right? Mm. Whether you've got those two-disc original versions or that boxed set from 2008 where it's basically just those discs repackaged. It's the same thing. So for yeah. the prequels, you're kind of safe. For the original trilogy, absolutely – well, really, okay, two things. I would go for the 2006 releases, and I would go for the 2004 release. Reason being, the 2004 one – does not have the original unaltered version. It's just the 2004 DVD version. But those 2004 sets come with a bonus disc that has that Empire of Dreams documentary and trailers and stuff like that on it, which is really cool. Um, right. The 2005 re-release puts those same discs back in a box, except not the bonus discs. So you get no bonus features whatsoever, again, outside of commentaries. Um, 2006, there is no box set unless you were to buy them at Best Buy where it came with like a collector's tin that acted like a box. But that's when you got one disc of the film exact same disc from 2004 and 2005 repackaged again with another disc that has those unaltered editions on it that you would probably want to pick up for that unaltered edition to watch on a modern player um 2008's version is essentially the same as the 2006 ones just boxed into one box kind of like the prequels getting boxed in 2008 into one box but it's much harder to find and much more expensive so unless you really dig the cardboard box just get the 2006 ones um, not to mention that in 2006 Five and four, you have an option of full screen if you're insane, if you want to go full screen instead of widescreen. And uh, it's funny to look at a lot of the coverage of Star Wars home video releases back in the earlier days, like in the 90s especially, because there was this tendency of people to refer to widescreen as full screen because you're seeing the full picture, and it confuses the hell out of people. Um, Dude, straight up, that was me. It wasn't until 99, and I got those on VHS, and I was thinking, I got full screen, and I'm like, Where's all the where's all the extra stuff? And they're like, well, you got to get it on widescreen because it's cut out of the full screen. No, that was my epiphany mm -hmm. moment, man. Was with mm -hmm. the special editions. Oh, never again! Full screen, <laughs> get out of here. Let's see. Uh, if you want these special editions, then you're kind of in a position where uh, the best option is to go for uh, the laser discs. But a lot of people won't have Laserdisc players. It's more common to have VHS players still if you have a player like that around at all. In that case, there is a collector's edition from 97 that's pretty cool as far as bonus feature type things go, like nice little physical goodies that are in it. I didn't even know it existed at the time. I just thought there were just the golden and uh, silver, which they call platinum, I guess. That's why it's silver is better than gold. It's platinum. It's not gold. Um, th those little box sets, the little brick-looking ones. But it turns out there was a bigger one that actually has some extra stuff in it. So that one's a pretty cool one to pick up. But again, a little bit tougher to come by. If you're looking for the original, uh, virtually unaltered version, <laughs> virtually, not counting the A New Hope subtitle there, and you're just looking for a pre-special edition version, then 
Yeah, you can, the more readily available one is the 2006 or 2008 original trilogy DVD set, or DVDs, because it wasn't a set in 2006, as I mentioned, or you could really just go for any of the 1995 or 93 stuff. The definitive collection on Laserdisc has more bonus features, and it's just awesome. But again, if you don't have a Laserdisc player, um, the 1995, there wasn't really a special edition of any kind, or a collector's edition, I guess I should say, of any kind, really here in the U.S., but... You can get the widescreen version there that's pretty decent, the widescreen THX remastered edition with a couple of different case variants, one that's like a shoebox and one that slides out from the side. Um, anything really before that, you're looking at lesser video quality, lesser audio quality, with only very, very slight differences in the content itself. Like, you would be hard-pressed to find somebody who would really, without doing a lot of research, be able to tell you significant differences between, say the original stereo audio mix of A New Hope from the 1982 and 1983 VHS tapes versus the hi-fi remastering for 84 versus the THX remastering in 93. It's just, it's not likely that most people are going to see that. So uh, I, I guess I would say if we're going progressively here from earliest to latest, it's Definitive Collection, Laserdiscs, or 1995 THX Remastered Edition, if you want the best versions of the original, what we think of as the original versions of the original trilogy, though a close second, at least a nice thing to have on modern players, is the 2006 or 2008 DVDs. If you want the special editions, go for the uh, VHS Collector's Edition set from 1997, or the Laserdisc set from 1997. If you want the DVD version of the original trilogy, go for 2004 sets uh, with the bonus disc. If you're looking for Blu-ray, go for the complete Saga set. If you're looking for digital, the only option you've got is the recent digital uh, HD collection that's out there. And that doesn't even touch on things like Clone Wars and Rebels and the Ewoks and all that, which would be a whole other show. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanlers.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free book. That's right, a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars genre or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. 
And again, for those who are curious more about these releases and want to see them in action, want to see more about them, uh, and about the Clone Wars and the different cuts and changes to that and so forth, again, it is from the Star Wars Home Video Library. It is youtube.com slash user slash chrono radio. It's easiest just to do a search for from the Star Wars Home Video Library. I'm the only one producing things with that name. Probably most interesting, if you just want an overview, go and do a search on YouTube for from the Star Wars Home Video Library Timeline. I have about a 20-minute video that is essentially a timeline of the different home video releases of the full films, where basically it just, I laid out all the different releases from that year on a table, do a quick little rundown of what's special about them with a little uh, pop-up thing in the corner that tells you the year, and then it moves on to the next one, the next one, the next one, straight through from 82 all the way up uh, through the newest releases at the time, which were the 2013 physical releases, which are still the current uh, most recent physical releases of those films. And I think that provides probably a better overview than we could provide just with audio. Yeah, there's a lot to cover in a short amount of time. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't put us the odds that somebody's going to complain that we're called Star Wars Beyond the Films and we just spent one episode out of 175 talking about something that relates to the films themselves. What are the odds that we'll finally get a Blu-ray disc that has every single version of Star Wars ever made on it? I want mine in 3D! <laughs> love it somebody out there is going to remember that song or at least the weird owl parody from uhf uh, oh oh dude no you don't even know uh in our 100th episode i was gonna put that beginning of that song at the beginning of our episodes <laughs> nice there you go sweet yeah that's right whistler <laughs> whistler's like it is <laughs> He's a you fooled you. <laughs> That's right, Whistler. No, it ain't. Whistler is becoming a uh, chopper a little more every day. Yeah, yeah. That's yes, exactly. We know who the bad influence is. <laughs> Connection is really, really. Fast. I'm getting a yellow call, Quali, and you are breaking up like mad. Yeah, you are too. Uh, Let's start the call again, I guess. Yes. Like it's any better. Try not to cuss. Yeah, I'm still getting the yellow, are you? Yeah, oh yeah, I'm still yellow. Yeah. Why, Skype? We're podcasting. Some grandma and her daughter out of the call. Yeah, I can't think of any. I just, this is when I generally look around to see if there are any things in the apartment that is sucking up uh, internet bandwidth, and I don't think there are at this point. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Everybody's asleep. <laughs> well, I mean, you're seeing, yeah, you're sounding all right now. It just we may wind up having some yeah moments of having to restart. Can you hear me fine? Yeah, at the moment you're coming through good. Moment, okay. Oh, right. what fun. Okay. Okay. Well, I know where I was at, so yep. uh, I'll just pick up from there. Okay. You know, I, I say that not knowing, so let me look. You're like, I'm fine, ho. <laughs> like, I'm an EU guru, not the Nathan Butler guru, damn it. I don't know about my own shit. Okay, and why is it not letting me... 
my channel, Video Manager. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Work for Daddy. Come get that bone. Oh shit. Okay, here we go. Uh. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, and that's bullshit because. I was hoping it would give me the date, and I scroll... Okay, there we go. To determine... Uh, let me say that again, because I have no idea where that sentence was going. I lost it halfway in the middle. <laughs> Come back to me! Okay, anything else you want to... Um, no. Do we want to go with, like, like, what's the best version of each to grab, and then that's it, or what? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, we can do that. Can you hear the weed eater in the background? Nope, I don't think so. Okay, sweet, because it's a loud hum. So Can good. you hear the weed smoker in the background? Oh, that's my upstairs <laughs> neighbor. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, I got water here. Wait, I can do this. Hold on. <laughs> my cup's empty. I got water. I'm good at this. Wow. <laughs> Shaba and his hookah. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. 